Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast, special mock draft edition of the Peter King Podcast. I only do one of these. Uh, my annual exercise in total absolute futility, bordering on abject failure. But I'm happy to bring it to you this week uh, as my podcast uh, and happy to be joined by Paul Burmeister. We're going to bat it back and forth with my friend from NBC Sports. Uh, Paul, I never know when I finish my mock draft. Um, I finished it as we record this on Monday. As I finish this, uh, I remember, you know, last night calling and texting a couple of general managers because they want to know who I pick in their spot. And I said to one of them something like on the phone, I said, hey, pay no attention to this. It's not going to happen, but here's who I gave you. And he said, you cry every year about your mock draft, which I do. And uh, so we'll see what happens. But as I say, in my column, in Football Morning in America, Paul, I have a little bit of confidence in the first two picks. And then after <laughs> that, who knows? It's a good place to start, Peter. And I do think you're setting the bar a little bit low. And I give you a couple of reasons why. That Number one, I think first and foremost, a good mock draft is not about how many picks you get right out of the 32. To me, sitting on this side of a number of them, the last... 15 years. I think it's all about the insights and the analysis and the reasons why. If that's interesting, if it makes sense, if it shows you have insight to a team, if you only get two right or if you get 22 right, I mean, that's a good mock draft. And I think I have a little more confidence that futility isn't going to be attached to this one. Well, you know, let's, let's start there. And first, for uh, people who are going to listen to this, just to, and and watch this really uh, because we're also doing a real snazzy video with this today, uh, this week. I think the one thing that we will get to at one point, maybe we can get to it when we talk about the Falcons. You know, there's some kind of Julio Jones news that is percolating out of Atlanta, and we'll talk about that. But honestly, the pick that, in a weird way, and I have no idea if it's going to happen really because they're tight as a drum. I kind of like my Cincinnati pick at number five just because I use uh, them picking Jamar Chase, the receiver from LSU, as a way to get into what I think they should do in the second and third rounds, which is to take a, a tackle in the second and a, and a guard in the third. So, 
you know, Paul, that is what I try to do. I don't just try to put down a guy in that slot. I try to explain as best I can why either, A, I think they're going to do this, or B, uh, does it make sense for them to do this? So I guess I'd preface our little conversation by saying those two things. Uh, we can take a peek there at uh, at mock draft as they come up, and you can see the picks one through eight. We're going to walk through each one of them. And Peter, before we do that, I know you want to talk about a couple of topics first: um, the new general managers in the top ten and how that's going to play a role, and also this theory of teams saying or, or fans of teams saying we'll just trade back if we don't get the guy we want. Okay. Uh, before we get into the yeah. picks, I'll let you address those two things. Well, look, um, you know, one of the things that was particularly difficult about the mock draft this year is that after the first three picks, we all know the first three picks are going to be quarterbacks, but after the first three picks, uh, four of the next six picks are held by rookie general managers. What does that mean? Well, it means there's not really a book on him. Terry Fontenot in Atlanta, he's never run a draft before. So we don't have a good idea if he's a wheeler dealer. We just, we don't have a book on Terry Fontenot. We don't really have a book on Scott Fitter or the Carolina Panthers at number eight or Brad Holmes of the Lions at number seven or George Payton of the Broncos at nine. Now we can, we can think we know some things, like I was told by somebody in Denver, don't look for George to make trades to give up a lot of picks. When he was in Minnesota, in many years, the Vikings led the league in draft choices. And like our old friend Jimmy Johnson always said to me when I would say, oh my God, Jimmy, you got 15 draft picks this year. What are you, what are you doing with all those? He goes, look, I'm no smarter than anybody else. I just want to give myself enough cushion to make mistakes and when Jimmy Johnson says that and he's you know he is smarter than a lot of people and when he says that I believe like for instance you know I have heard that Carolina is really kind of unhappy that over the last eight drafts they've only had on average 6.2 draft choices when the NFL average is right around eight you know, there are seven rounds and then there's all these supplemental picks. But but my my whole point about this is that we don't really know these people who are in such key spots of, of the draft. So I think that becomes uh, not only making it a little bit more mysterious as to what's going to happen on Thursday, but very difficult for me in the last few days to make a mock draft that I really trusted. In San Francisco, with the aggressive way and the, the handsome price that they paid to get up to number three before this draft uh, really got into this draft week, the main story we've had so far, they certainly altered some trades that may or may not happen at the high part of this draft. Right. You know, when San Francisco made the trade to move up from 12 to three, they traded two for future first round picks, you know, as well as giving up their pick this year, but they traded their one in 22 and 23 and also a future third round pick. 
So now, if you're sitting there and you're the Atlanta Falcons, and I believe they would love to trade, uh, you know, that's just my sense, or Brad Holmes with Detroit at seven, I think the Lions would love to trade. But the problem, Paul, is that, you know, the template for trades has been influenced, if not downright set, by the 49ers. And if a general manager now, let's say the the uh, that Atlanta trades from four to nine and they get a two and a four, well, everybody's going to say, man, uh, Terry Fontenot, that general manager, he got fleeced. He didn't get near enough value based on what the 49ers got going up. So, hey, that's one of the reasons, in my opinion, Paul, I don't think we're going to see... Uh, I, I I mean, I don't have anybody trading into the top 10. That's probably unrealistic, but man, I asked a lot of questions and I can't find anybody to do it. Let's go ahead and get rolling with the picks. And we just saw the graphic come up of your selections, one through eight. No surprises at the top, Peter, with one and two. So Jacksonville taking Trevor Lawrence, quarterback out of Clemson. I know you talked to him on one of your podcasts leading into this one. Um, just give us... I think with both of these, starting with Jacksonville, one thought to keep in mind when the, the uh, pick becomes official, Jacksonville selecting Trevor Lawrence. You know, I think the first two picks, obviously we know Trevor Lawrence and then Zach Wilson to the Jets. Those guys have one thing in common. Amazingly clean profiles as people and players. And I think... One of the reasons why Jacksonville is so comfortable with Trevor Lawrence, he's got no pockmarks, he's got no zits on his resume. The exact same thing with the Jets at number two, um, you know, with, with Zach Wilson. I'll tell you the one thing about each guy that I think is going to be a major adjustment, and that is, for Trevor Lawrence, losing. He's going to lose more games in the first month as a quarterback, or month or so, uh, than he lost in his entire college career. He only lost two games in college. And he and his head coach, Urban Meyer, who never have lost before, uh, are going to have to make sure they get used to that. Now let's go to uh, the Jets at, at, at number two. You know, this is, uh, in, in Zach Wilson, it's a, it's a kid from medium-sized town in Utah, has never lived anywhere else, and he went to school in Utah at Brigham Young. He's a Mormon kid. And now he is moving 2,100 miles away to, uh, you know, to New Jersey. Now, for people who don't know where Florham Park, New Jersey is, that's where the Jets are, it's fairly pastoral. <laughs> Brett Favre told me that uh, when, you know, in, in the middle of his year with the Jets, he said, I can't believe it. I, go, I can go hunting anytime I want to around here. And so that is something that maybe you don't expect about this. But obviously, he's going to have the back pages barking at him every day if he throws an interception or whatever. You've already had Broadway Zach on the back pages and, and, and all this. So very, very high expectations. And it's never been the case that way, really, with Zach Wilson in his life. So to me, the first two picks, those are the pressure points for those two guys. Bringing us to number three, you go Mac Jones, quarterback Alabama for San Francisco. Again, not a big surprise there. 
I do like in your article, though, what intrigued me right away, you wrote, I'm hearing it's a two horse race between Trey Lance and Mac Jones. I'd like to hear more about that. Well, you know, a lot of this stuff, you don't really know what's true and what isn't true. Um, but someone who knows people in that organization told me over the weekend that it's 60-40 uh, Mac Jones over Fields, which would then lead me, oh, not over Fields, over Trey Lance. That would lead me to believe that there's probably one strong voice in the organization uh, that likes uh, Trey Lance. Now, look, my feeling is knowing the organization the way I know it, uh, they allowed me to be inside their draft room in 2017. John Lynch has tremendous respect for Kyle Shanahan, and he believes that you know you should give your coach, your head coach, uh, what he wants to succeed. So I think that unless two or three people in the organization would be against Mac Jones uh, and for Trey Lance, just my gut feeling. And again, they are bottled up as tight as a drum right now in San Francisco. So I think the pick is going to be Jones. It's been such a discussion point, and I think a, a, a point to start an argument for many fans who follow the draft theater. I'm just wondering, in this last month, since they made this trade to get up to three and there was this feeling they would use it to take Mac Jones, when you talk to GMs and coaches, you feel more support for a would-be pick for Mac Jones or more doubt that he would go that high? Uh, Paul, you know what is interesting, and I wish I, had, I wish I wrote this. I really do, now that you mention that. I, that's why sometimes it's good to have conversations like this. You know who's pissed off about this Mac Jones pick? Fans in the media. Right. I mean, it, because, because, you know, basically, here's how the landscape has been set. Landscape has been set that after the bowl games, everybody said, well, it's Justin Fields and uh, Trevor Lawrence. Probably Lawrence won, but it's close. And if maybe some people like Fields more. And then as the process went on, people start watching more and more tape on Zach Wilson. They say, oh my gosh, this guy is so incredibly special. And then the trade is made on March 29. And I think it was Adam Schefter who first said, uh, I think that they really like Mac Jones. And it, it was like the world collapsed. What a bunch of idiots. They don't know what they're doing. I'm telling you, I have not heard one general manager or personnel person when I was putting this mock draft together say, man, the 49ers are dumb. I, I have not. You know, Mac Jones is very well liked and very respected in the coaching and scouting fraternity. Completely agree. Anybody who's studied him, Peter, comes out of it saying the balance, the accuracy, the decision-making there time and time again. If you can get past the point that, yes, uh, the deck was stacked in his favor with personnel and maybe he's not as mobile as you want him to be. The other parts of playing quarterback consistently are there at a high level. So it's good to hear you say that. The handful of people I talked to have studied him, really hey, look, like him as hey, well. He, here's the thing, Paul. Look, you played quarterback in, in college at Iowa. And, mm -hmm. and quite honestly, I think sometimes, sometimes, and look, I'm a victim. You know what I you know how what I've watched in Mac Jones? There's a there's like a, 
uh, a 30, 35 minute, uh, you know, ser series of his plays, you know, on YouTube that, that I watched. And so I can't sit here and say, great pick, stupid pick, whatever pick. All I can sit here and say is, looks like a damn good quarterback to me. And Kyle Shanahan really knows quarterbacks and coaching quarterbacks. If he wants Mac right. Jones, I'd give him to him and, and, and allow him the opportunity to show us why he picked Mac Jones third, if that is indeed the pick. Right. We all get so enamored right now with, with the wow and the splash plays and the quarterback who can bring you everything like a Josh Allen or a Lamar Jackson with the passing and the running. I think sometimes we forget it is also an elite skill to have a high level of decision making and accuracy and balance time and time again. And if they go Mac Jones at number three, I think those are the reasons that led them there. All right. We've talked a lot about Atlanta uh, and what they might do at number four in the draft leading up, Peter. And this is a really fun one to me because there are so many scenarios that make sense. You could provide good argument for whatever direction they might go. You have them going with Kyle Pitts, tight end out of Florida. Yeah, I think one of the big factors here is that uh, Terry Fontenot inherited a bloated salary cap, as I pointed out this morning, um, you know, per overthecap.com. Uh, there are three players, uh, Grady Jackson, um, Matt Ryan, uh, and uh, who am I forgetting? Jake Matthews, who account for in 2022, as of now, one half of the total salary cap expenditure of the Atlanta Falcons. They're in big, big cap trouble. That could lead them, uh, as I wrote in the column, to trade Julio Jones um, with a June 2 date on that so that they can split uh, his uh, cap responsibility between this year and next year. But whether they trade Julio Jones or not, uh, and I think they probably will, but whether they trade Julio Jones or not, I think the key question here at number four is a simple one. You've got two great options, you know, as receivers, a tight end, a generational tight end, and then probably the best receiver, you know, that most people think is, is the best receiver is Jamar Chase. And I think if you're the Atlanta Falcons, the one thing that you have to think about also is we don't think we're ever going to be in position to draft a really, really good quarterback. I just, I just don't think that they believe right now, and I could be wrong, but the sense I get is that they're going to hang, around, hang on to Matt Ryan for a while. And, and so if Matt Ryan with Arthur Smith plays great this year, and I think he's going to play really well. If he plays great, then you're looking at, so we drafted Justin Fields or, or, or Trey Lance. And I mean, is this going to be a Garoppolo situation? What if Matt Ryan plays great next year too? What are we going to do with our quarterback? You know, take out a guy who's borderline MVP caliber for a young kid who's unproven. So that is what is really difficult about the situation they're in. And quite honestly, that's why I gave him Kyle Pitts. I support that logic too, Peter, because if, if you can imagine a one-on-one a -on -one meeting between the new head coach and general manager, Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot, and if it came up, 
what are the assets we have? Let's name three assets we have that can keep us here for two years. Because really, let's face it, you're not really guaranteed more than a couple of years right now with the patients or lack thereof for head coach or GM. Matt Ryan has to be one of the top two assets you have on that team. So giving him a pick that helps him be better, that helps this GM head coach combo be around longer than two years, I think that's the best way to go. I mean, and again, who knows? It's like with so many of these picks, all you're doing is you're trying to read the tea leaves. Let's go to number five, and I'll tell you, my tea leaf reading on the Bengals, Paul, is that I think they very, very well might take Panay Sewell right here to protect Joe Joe Burrow. Uh, They got visions in their head right now of... of, uh, you know, Joe Burrow going down with that knee injury and, and how horrible that was. But, and this is a big but, I think the one thing that that scouts, GMs feel strongly about is you can get a good tackle in the second round and you can get a very good guard hot early in the third round. That's what I think the Bengals should do. Give them, give Joe Burrow one more weapon in his old friend Jamar Chase and then go heavy on the offensive line right after that. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Now keep in mind, Tyler Boyd's slot receiver allows them to have the top two receivers on the field at the same time if they went that route with Chase and Higgins on the outside. Let's go to six with Miami. Their mindset has to be different than others, Peter, because of the surplus of early picks. This is the first of four they have in the top 50, and you give them wide receiver, Jalen Waddell from Alabama. You know, this is one of those deals where I think Miami traded up hoping to get one of three players. You know, Pitts and Chase being two, and I just feel, I feel Waddell over Devontae Smith, you know, the other really good receiver in this in this group, just because of size. Um, you know, Waddle's got a little bit more size. He's an electric playmaker. And, you know, the bottom line in this one, Paul, is that the Miami Dolphins want to give Tua Tagovailoa every chance with com- a complete group of skill players 
that can threaten a secondary. They want to give him every chance to succeed. Picking a receiver here at number six gives Tua Tonga-Valoa that chance. The Lions want to give Jared Goff every chance to succeed at number seven uh, by going offensive tackle from Oregon, Panay Sewell. I, I think the, my vote, if it plays out this way, Peter, for the GM most likely to step to a podium and say, I can't believe that this guy was there with our pick. <laughs> I'm saying Brad Holmes is that guy if he does get Panay Sewell. Yeah. Hey, look, I, I I agree with you. I wrote in my comment about the Lions that Brad Holmes is going to say, no way we thought this guy would be there. Right. And that's, hey, look, there are going to be two or three players in this draft that are going to fall a little bit, and you're going to say, oh, my God, I can't believe he's falling. And that's because of the quality of the offensive player. It's totally bizarre there might not be a defensive player picked until around the 10th spot in this draft. But the reason why I think Panay Sewell is so logical for the Lions is because they've been trying to get their offensive line right since Matt Millen. And, you know, they have had a leaky offensive line. And I think this gives them the major building block uh, to fix this offensive line once and for all. And at number eight with Carolina, Peter, for everyone who thought that the Panthers acquiring Sam Darnold uh, via that trade, got them out of the quarterback game in the top 10. You've got news. You go Justin Fields, quarterback, Ohio State. Yeah, you know, this is, uh, honestly, Paul, this is this is my best guess. I do not have anybody whispering to me, give Justin Fields to Carolina. I just feel like, there are a lot of little things at play here. They have an owner who wakes up every morning saying, uh, David Tepper, we got to get a franchise quarterback. Now, when they traded uh, for Sam Darnold, I believe that they thought that there's a good chance we're going to play this year and maybe even next with Sam Darnold. But as I say in my column today, isn't it interesting how it was reported on the day or two after this after this pick that the Panthers were likely to exercise the fifth-year option of Sam Darnold? And isn't it interesting that they have not exercised the fifth-year option on Sam Darnold? I think so. And so to me, you add David Tepper's eagerness, you add uh, you know the Sam Darnold factor, and one other kind of lesser thing, and this is this is like way down the line, but, you know, people who know uh, Scott Fitter, the general manager, and or Matt Rule, the coach, believe that they really like, both of them really like Justin Fields. So, again, that's why I gave Justin Fields to, uh, uh, to Carolina at eight, and that sort of rounds out our first quarter of the draft. Let's go ahead and take a look at that first quarter of the top eight picks. As you mentioned, Peter, not a single defensive player selected yet. One through eight, all quarterbacks, pass catchers, and an offensive tackle. A real nod to what the passing game means to the NFL right now. And why not keep it going there at number nine with Denver? Peter, the, the quarterback play has been so poor there since Peyton Manning retired. Uh, it's a bit of a reach to go with the fifth quarterback in the class, but it also makes sense that you win Trey Lance, QB, 
North Dakota State. In my opinion, this this just feels right. I can't I can't tell you that I know what George Payton, the, the new GM, is going to do, but it just feels right that if Denver does not have to move, that it can just sit there and take Trey Lance. Look, this this is a strange quarterback situation in Denver. Uh, I never got the feeling that John Elway felt when he drafted uh, Drew Locke a couple of years ago that, okay, I am confident this is the guy for the next 15 years. It was one of these, we really like Drew Locke, and he's sitting there in the 40s, and we got to take him. And he hasn't done enough in the first two years uh, as the nominal starting quarterback he just hasn't done enough to leave you without questions about your future. That's why, to me, if Trey Lance is sitting there, I don't think that uh, George Payton is going to move heaven and earth to move up to get him. Maybe maybe he'd move up to seven uh, to get a quarterback uh, if, if, he, if he felt like he was going to lose the one he really liked. But having said that, I, I think there's a decent chance he's going to be able to sit there at nine and if he wants to, just pick Trey Lance there. Let's bundle these last two picks together, Peter, because you, you've kind of created interesting quarterback scenarios. I'd like to know which one you think intrigues you the most. If it goes down that way in Carolina, where it's Sam Darnold and Justin Fields, or more intrigued by what would happen in Denver with Drew Locke and Trey Lance. Sam Darnold, um, I, think, I think it intrigues me more with Sam Darnold because... Most of us, I certainly did think they were going to legitimately give him an opportunity to um, to win this job. And it just shows to me that the owner of this team and the people who are making the, the football decisions for this team um, feel like we may never pass this way again. You know, we because, look, I think the one thing that we have seen in you know early on with Matt Rule Matt Rule's a really good football coach I don't think he's going to be having any two and three win seasons so that's why you wonder if you think that you're going to be in the middle of the pack when would you have a chance to take a quarterback uh you know that high who you definitely feel like is a franchise guy that's kind of why I gave them one at number eight Cowboys uh, insured their franchise quarterback, Dak Prescott, will be in Dallas for a while. You wrote of the Cowboys with their selection at 10, Peter, that three scenarios could present themselves. One, take the number one corner. Two, take the number one edge rusher. Or three, a trade up for Kyle Pitts. You opt for Patrick Sertain, cornerback Alabama. Probably, this is one of those things where people have been attaching Patrick Sertan to the Cowboys for about a month. And honestly, I don't know who the Cowboys are going to take. But everybody who I talked to in the football community just said, give him Sertan. (laughs) So, and, and I think, and I think it's very, very logical, especially because I think Dallas you know, okay, so they got a little better on defense as the year went on. But this was an absolute debacle led by the secondary. 
uh, you know, giving up 40 points a game to to almost everybody they played early. I mean, the the Cleveland Browns had a track meet in 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 Dallas early in the season last year, and so they feel like their secondary simply must get better. I think this is very good value for Patrick Sertan at 10. Staying in the NFC East, Peter, let's get to the Giants at 11. And I could envision a scenario where they are considering Parsons, the outside linebacker from Penn State, and Devontae Smith, the wide receiver. I, I know who Daniel Jones would vote for. Looks like you have casted your vote for defense. And look, uh, I think easily they could take Devontae Smith. I, I think he could be a huge star uh, wherever he goes. And it will not surprise me if it's Devontae Smith. And look, the giant, Dave Gettleman does not have a history of taking linebackers high in drafts. But when I hear people talk about, uh, you know, Parsons, the linebacker at, at, at Penn State, you know, you hear Micah Parsons. And the one thing that I heard from several evaluators is, if you decided to simply put him on the edge, either in a 3-4 or 4-3, if you decide to simply put him on the edge and give him a little bit of help, he's going to be a great NFL pass rusher. If you decide to make him your, uh, you know, uh, pick a guy who's a, who's a great, like Devin White, if you decide to make him a sideline-to-sideline side force, he can be that too. So... I just think a lot of NFL teams look at him as a rare talent. Um, the Giants have given so much help to their offense that just my opinion is I think they need to look at their defense and pick Parsons over Devontae Smith. 12, Philadelphia ends up there after the trade that involved Miami and San Francisco earlier in the spring. How did you settle on the South Carolina corner, J.C. Horn? I think it all has to do with a desperate need. I, I believe that Philadelphia originally was going to go down from 6 to 12, believing that if we could get one of the tackles here, Rashawn Slater, Panay Sewell, or one of the three wide receivers, or a top corner, then obviously that is something that we really, really want to do. And so... The way I sort of took this is I looked at, in my opinion, what was the neediest position here. And I think they have a huge need at corner. And even after trading for uh, Darius Slay last year with the Lions, they just, they didn't get the season out of Slay that they thought they would. I mean, he allowed 77% completions in coverage wow. last year. And that's your star corner. You know, you got to be better than that. I think they desperately need help for the secondary. All right, so the Eagles fill an obvious need there at 12. Uh, Back-to-back needs filled next, Peter, on the offensive line. 13, the Chargers uh, with uh, Rashawn Slater, either the first or second offensive tackle in this class, depending on who you talk to. And at 14, the Vikings with Elijah Vera Tucker could play guard or tackle from USC. The Chargers pick is a little uncharacteristic for um, Tom Telesco, the general manager. I think I'm right in saying he's only picked one offensive lineman in a first round in the seven or eight years he's been the GM. 
he most often will go for, you know, pass rusher, skill player, uh, and somebody who can really impact the game early. But the reason that, that I gave them Slater is that they have a great young quarterback, obviously, in Justin Herbert. And the problem with their offensive line is that it was leaky last year. Herbert got hit a lot. They simply have to fortify the wall in front of him. And that's why I gave them Slater. And the Vikings uh, with uh, Elijah Vera Tucker scheme, versatility could play inside or outside. I think the interesting thing about Vera Tucker is that he is really, really loved in the scouting community because he is a total steady Eddie person in a big conference in the Pac-12 he started 37 games at tackle, and he played both tackles. He played 26 at right tackle, 11 at left tackle. And I think, uh, I think one of the things that, that we're looking at is that I think they really, you know, I made a mistake. That, that wasn't him. That was actually Rashawn Slater. But he, Elijah Vera Tucker also has experience and pardon me for that error, but Vera Tucker could play, most teams think eventually, any of four spots on the offensive mm-hmm. line. And, and it's one of those things, you know how many times we see a guy come into the NFL and most teams will tell you that it's easier to step into the NFL at a guard rather than to step out and be on that island at tackle. And so I think this is a player who could be one of those multi-position guys in his career. And I think that is what uh, most teams believe when they when they look at, uh, at Vera Tucker, that you're going to get not only a really good guard on day one, but a versatile guy who can also step out. I have been waiting to get to this pick for the Patriots that you gave them at number 15, Peter. Uh, for, I think, three reasons. Number one, you look at the interest level of the Patriots, what they've done the last 20 seasons. Uh, whether you love them or hate them, you have interest in how they bounce back from last year. That passing offense was a painful watch last season. And Devontae Smith, the most explosive receiver we've seen uh, in recent years, evident by his, his uh, winning of the Heisman Trophy. So the Pats at 15, Devontae Smith, wide receiver, Alabama. I feel like, Devontae Smith is being downgraded um, because of his size. He's 166 pounds. But, Paul, I've got to tell you that a general manager I respect greatly told me last week that when I'm scouting Devontae Smith, I am watching. I feel like he is one of the best football players I've ever seen in my life. This is a veteran general manager. So, I mean, I said, that's an incredible statement. You've been in this game for, in and around this game for, for three decades, and you say that? It was, it was incredible. Um, but I think when you look at him play football, you know, you don't see somebody who plays like he's 166 pounds. You see somebody who plays like he's 206 pounds a competitive, uh, you know, on 50-50 balls, you see a guy who jumps up to get it 
and who battles bigger corners and safeties and wins. Um, and, and I was told by a couple of people when I said, I asked, who's the best contested ball catcher? Both of them said Devontae Smith. And so I think, I think he's, a, he's a fascinating player. And look, is anybody going to have a better pipeline to information than Bill Belichick to Nick Saban? And, and so I think, I think this, this makes a lot of sense. Now, do I think he's going to get to 15? I think the odds are fairly slim that he does. But I think if he does, New England's throwing a parade. It's an amazing statement on how much measurables uh, still matter in this evaluation process that it's even a possibility that a wide receiver who gets described that way would still be around in the middle yeah. of the first round just because of size uh, and how he looks. Hey, let's face it. He looks very slim on film. Okay. Getting us to number 16 with Arizona, Peter, before we hit these next few picks, I want to point out that these next three defensive players that you assigned to the teams uh, are in really quite a, a mix of talent and different kind of concerns on and off the field yeah. that teams have to consider when thinking about them. Let's begin at 16 with Arizona going with Greg Newsom to the cornerback out of Northwestern. Here's what I think about Greg Newsom. I, I mean, everybody loves him, absolutely loves him, but he has missed 15 games due to injury in his three starting seasons at Northwestern. He's very fast. You need to get over the injury concern if you're going to take him. So quite honestly, I gave Newsom to Arizona because I think Arizona desperately needs to improve a secondary that, and look, Patrick Peterson hasn't been the, the 2016 Patrick Peterson, you know, la certainly last year, um, but they desperately need help in that secondary right now. The only guy who offensive coordinators, you know, stay up trying to figure how they're going to play against is Buda Baker. And so they, they've got a, a major need at corner. And, and look, this is, this is a bit of a risk pick. But I do think if he stays healthy, he will be more than worth the 16th pick in the draft. Let's take a look now at 9 through 16. And you knew it would happen at some point. But some balance now between offense and defense, defensive backs, uh, linebackers beginning to come off the board bringing us to 17 and we're right back at corner with the Las Vegas Raiders uh, Caleb Farley cornerback Virginia Tech um, this is a perfect example of what this draft is you're you're talking about maybe the most talented kid at his position but hasn't played football hasn't played a game in over 500 days yeah there's there's some people who are extremely concerned some people in the league who are extremely concerned um, about um, a player who hasn't played in over 500 days and is coming off his second back surgery, um, a discectomy, um, you know, so he had a herniated disc. Um, and so I know there are some teams that would not touch him in the first round uh, because they just, they're just really not sure. And that's really... You know, he might be sort of the poster child of this draft because, yeah. you know, there's a lot of people who have major concerns about players in this draft. I think the one thing, one of the reasons I put him with the Raiders, I know they've spent a lot of time investigating him, studying him, talking to him. I think they view him as the best corner in this draft. And yes, it is a risk uh, at injury, 
This is a team that was so bad, has been so bad at corner. Um, you know, pro football focus is just, you know, really their stats on the Raiders corners, they're, they're awful. And so this is a uh, somewhere between a need and a crying need. And I'm, I'm projecting that the Raiders will take this risk. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. And getting us to 18 with the Dolphins and another defensive risk here of a different kind here, Peter, with Jalen Phillips, uh, the edge rusher from Miami. Concussion issues at UCLA forced him uh, to step away from football for a time. Transferred to Miami, was terrific there in one season. So you have a great athlete at the position. Teams want that kind of athlete production, but you've got some serious risk in the fact that concussions forced him out of the game a short time ago. Two evaluators told me that he is the best defensive player in the draft and however and it's a big however you know they look at a guy who has had concussion issues uh had a couple of other injuries that are concerning to teams uh basically uh, hated uh chip kelly so much at ucla that for that and other reasons, he, he decided to leave football for a while. Medical reasons, I'm told. And then he found he missed football so much that he entered the transfer portal and he ended up going to Miami and having one of the great seasons uh, that any defensive player in this draft has had, one of the great single seasons. Um, so, look, you, you have to decide who Jalen Phillips is and... My feeling is that I think Miami is a perfect spot for Jalen Phillips. They have a big need for a pass rusher opposite Emmanuel Ogba uh, on one side. And they have seen <clears throat> that he now has in Miami, a lot of people say, whoa, you know, Miami, young kid, uh, dangerous place, too many temptations, all that. Miami has been great for Jalen Phillips both on and off the field. And I think the Dolphins see this and say, we'd love to keep this kid right where he is right now. You know, keep him in his comfort zone where he likes living, where he has produced so well, where he's had zero issues. Uh, and we would like to keep him here. And so, look, 
The Dolphins might be the tightest organization as far as draft information of any team in the league. They're clearly one of them. So this is my projection of the Dolphins. This is no little birdie whispering to me, hey, give the Dolphins <laughs> Jalen Phillips. You did give him two Jalens, I want to point out. Jalen Waddle in the top 10 and then Jalen Phillips there at defensive end for whatever that's worth. All right, Washington it's football team at 19. Time, Paul. There you go. They have a couple more in the top 50 to go outside of that first name. So Washington at 19, not, not a sexy pick, but one that certainly fills a need. Uh, Christian Derisaw, tackle Virginia Tech. Look, the next two picks, 19 Washington, Chicago at 20. Both of these picks, um, there's just something way in the back of my mind. I don't think it'll happen. I think it is a less than 10% chance. But I do, I want to see what happens in the first round Thursday night to see if either one of these teams, desperate for a long-term quarterback, either one, would they mortgage their long-term future to move up to get a quarterback? I don't see it happening. Martin Mayhew, the new uh, uh, GM uh, in uh, uh, Washington, loves draft picks. He, I'm not saying he hoards them, but he's a big draft pick guy. And I just don't see, with the tenuous hold that Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy have on their jobs in Chicago, it's hard for me to imagine them basically pillaging their next two drafts after this one when the guys who make the pick at a, as for, you know, with a quarterback might not be around um, you know, to, to run the team and coach the team anymore. So right. Darisaw is, is interesting because he's a fighter. He's a, he's a real fiery, tough kid uh, who's basically come from nothing as a football player. He had one Division I offer. Otherwise, he might have, might have ended up at like a, a Central Connecticut or something. And so I think, you know, he's a guy who the desire, uh, the feistiness, the competitiveness is there. Uh, I think he's a Ron Rivera type of player. You mentioned the Bears at 20 and their thought process also with, with not trading up to get a quarterback. They took care of that spot, Peter, at least temporarily in the offseason when they, when, they when they signed Andy Dalton. And if Andy Dalton's going to be more successful, Peter, in that passing offense uh, than Mitchell Trubisky was, of course they need to be better. But the word that comes to my mind, they need to be more explosive at the wide receiver position. Yeah. So why did you think Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota was the best guy there? Yeah, I mean, Rashad Bateman is not the fastest guy in this draft at all. But they seem to have soured on Anthony Miller. Uh, I think the Chicago Tribune reported that he's on the trading block. Um, and, and so I look at, I look at this receiver group and, and again, I don't watch all the games, but when I watch Rashad Bateman, man, he looks like he's been a receiver since he came out of the womb. He is so smooth, so comfortable. Uh, and he, he just seems so smart. Um, and I, I view him, especially with Andy Dalton. I view him becoming like the master of the back shoulder fade. I, I just think he's a, I think he is wise beyond his years at the receiver position. And I just think, I, I think Chicago wants to give this offense a real chance to be the kind of explosive offense that Matt Nagy has been trying to build. 
At 21, our first trade to report, you have uh, Cleveland uh, trading at 26 uh, with Indianapolis, with the Browns moving up to get the versatile hybrid linebacker, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa from Notre Dame. You know, Owusu-Koromoa is an interesting case study because more and more you're seeing the sideline to sideline linebackers in the NFL being valued. I don't think the Browns have a really good long-term one there. The great thing about the Cleveland Browns right now is they don't have to do anything right now. They've got a really good base of talent and they're going to be competitive now for the next few years. Now you have to add to spots that you look at the way football is being played now and you try to match that. Look, uh, Owusu Karamoa is the is the first guy. I think I'm right in saying this, and you know Notre Dame better than I do, but he's the first guy that Brian Kelly recruited strictly as a rover uh, hmm. linebacker right. type, you know, whatever you'd call that, a strong safety linebacker, you know, very versatile guy. Um, and And so I think that is the kind of versatility that I think Cleveland would would crave. And I think the reason I had them trading up is that I just, I doubt that he would be there at number 26. He might be, but uh, I, I think he really fits Cleveland well. And I think what, what stood out to me watching him play every game the last couple, three years there at Notre Dame, not only does he have the athleticism to go sideline to sideline, kind of like Devin White does, and to cover a tight end, or an inside receiver if he had to, loves contact. So not just the potential and the physical gifts, but this guy loves to come up and hit. And I think whoever gets him will really like that. 22, the Ravens, a quitty pay edge rusher out of Michigan to many, Peter. He's the best edge rusher in this class. I love the fact that you took your paragraph to talk about this pick and point out what an incredible story the kid is, not just what a great football player. Quiddy Pay is one of the best stories in NFL draft history. I mean, he was born in an African refugee camp. And I, I mean, and, he, and here he is. He's about to be able to take care of everybody in his family. Uh, it's such a wonderful, great story. But you know, when you ask people about Quiddy Pay, and I think the reason why Baltimore would really want Quiddy Pay is that he's a piece of modeling clay. He can be a lot of different things in the NFL. And I love the fact that on the Baltimore defense, there is not a one size fits all thing. Well, you have to be this on our defense. You have to be that. If you look at you know, the way their defensive coordinator, Wink Martindale, plays, especially with his front seven. There's a lot of mix and match guys and a lot of guys with different skill sets on that defensive front seven. So I think in the hands of a really smart defensive mind like Wink Martindale and a good coaching staff like Baltimore has, I love this pick. And and look, one of the reasons I did this too is that I think right now where we are in this, in the part of the draft, I had Baltimore trade up five spots. I just don't think that Baltimore has the ability to get in range of the really great receivers in this draft. And so the way I look at it is that they have a chance, 
you know, down the line a little bit to get a receiver who could help him, or maybe they would be in play uh, for um, for Julio Jones. So I, I realize that they want to get a receiver, but in my opinion, I think the board tells them right here, go get a piece for our front seven that's going to be a great player for us for eight or 10 years. And as you pointed out, kind of chameleon on that front seven could be inside, could be over the tight end, could be standing up outside the tight end too, if need be. Jets at 23, Gregory Rousseau, edge rusher, Miami. Once again, we find a defender, Peter, where you have to get, where you have to consider more than just the talent and production. The kid played one year of football. That's it. Yeah. One year of football. And I, Everybody who I talk to has such different opinions of him. I mean, everybody. There are a lot of people don't think he'll be a first rounder, and he might not be. But as one evaluator said to me, I can't unsee what I saw in Gregory Russo. Great quote. And what he meant was, in his one year playing football, he had 35 tackles behind the line of scrimmage. That's unfair. That's yeah. that just, I, I can't, I bet, I, I wonder if Lawrence Taylor had that in his North Carolina career. You know, I, I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's just, it's, he is just a fascinating player. Um, and I think some people say, well, maybe he's boomer bust. I, I don't, I don't think that. I think he's going to be a good NFL player. Um, and I think the New York Jets have a desperate, not 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 a big need, but a desperate need for a pass rusher who can disrupt the pocket. Pittsburgh Steelers at 24, Peter, and just kind of in the same way, I love what you did at 15, given the, the Patriots' Devontae Smith. I like the fact that in the bottom quarter of this first round here, you're kind of this theory that you shouldn't take a running back in round one is going to take a beating. And I like your reasoning for each one of these kids going to where they go. So let's start with the Steelers selecting Najee Harris running back Alabama. Look, Steelers haven't done this in 13 years. They haven't taken it back in the first round in 13 years. And under normal circumstances, I would have just said, give me the best tackle available. And they might sit here and take a Tevin Jenkins type player. They might. I, 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 I I don't have a great feel for them, but the reason why I think this makes sense is that this is one of the best receivers among running backs to come out of college football in a long time. Uh, he really prides himself on his hands. He doesn't like to think of himself as a big back or something like that. He likes to think of himself as a all-purpose, perfect, doing everything running back. And he is so strong between the tackles, but he also has the ability to make people miss outside. Um, I think he's a rare player. And look, as I wrote in my column, seven times in their last 11 games last year, the Steelers didn't did not reach 55 rushing yards in a game. Wow. And wow. the way I look at that is that's not a bad running game. That is a hopeless running game. And, yeah. and in my opinion, it's one of the reasons why their season collapsed. So I just think that Pittsburgh, as much as the other big needs they have, including big needs on the offensive line, 
I would address those in on day two of the draft. Now we looked at the 17 through 24 picks and defense really coming into play. Uh, more than half of the picks on defense. And one button there on what you said about Najee Harris running back Alabama, Peter. You like how much of a, what a strong receiver he has been. I love that he averaged over 10 yards per catch at Alabama. So not just the back catching it for five or six yards and falling forward. Jaguars at 25, their second pick after Trevor Lawrence at quarterback, edge rusher, Penn State, Jason Owe. Keep this name in mind as we go through what Jacksonville will do this weekend. Joe Cullen. So Joe Cullen is the new defensive coordinator. He comes from Baltimore. And my uh, information is that Urban Meyer is leaning on Joe Cullen in a big, big way. I think that combined with the fact that Urban Meyer and his coaching staff, there are four coaches on that staff who've just come from college football. And I think they have really good sources in and around the Big Ten, especially, uh, but in, in a lot of different places. And I think th when you look at, at this player, when you look at Jason Oa, I think one of the things you look at is upside. You know, he didn't have a lot of production at Penn State, but there's a lot of people both at Penn State and in the NFL who view that this is a room-to-grow pick. And look, as of right now, there's only one, you know, probably one player on that line in Josh Allen who the, the, uh, the, the Jags look at as a building block type of player, and they could add another one with Jason Owa. Indianapolis Colts at 26. And again, in your scenario here, Peter, this is because of a trade from 21 with Cleveland where they took Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa. They have a huge need at tackle to protect Carson Wentz. What led you to Samuel Cosme from Texas? You know, I think Cosme is one of these guys that people say he can go anywhere from 20 to 35. And uh, I think that he is a, a reliable, if not great player, uh, he started 34 games in college. There's another player here who I wrote about in my column. His name is Liam Eichenberg. And Paul, you know him. He's a Notre Dame guy. Mm -hmm. And the NFL is kind of starting to fall in love with Liam Eichenberg. And I feel like he's not getting out of the top 50. And he could be a late first round pick. He's such a steady guy um, with very, very good fundamentals. I kind of think this pick is going to be Eichenberg or or Cosme. I gave him Cosme because I think he is viewed as a slightly higher level prospect uh, than Eichenberg. And putting your words together with the visual I have from the Notre Dame Pro Day where Frank Reich, Colts head coach, was standing right there watching Liam do everything. So that would certainly make some sense. 27, Tennessee going Elijah Moore, wide receiver Ole Miss. Peter, I really like this because I thought one of the more uh, kind of quiet and concerning parts of the offseason was Ryan Tannehill losing two of his top three pass catchers in free agency. Yeah. So uh, this makes a lot of sense for them. You know, one of the scouts who I was talking about, uh, talking uh, about Elijah Moore with, told me he's going to be a better pro than he was in college. And so I looked back at him and I said, how can a guy with 4.35 speed Average 12.9 yards a catch in his college career. That's like a possession receiver. 
What, what happened? And that's the meaning of this. If he goes to a place where there's a good deep ball thrower, and I really respect Ryan Tannehill's ability to throw the deep ball with a great threat, his former college teammate, A.J. Brown on the other side, I, I think he could really be an impact player very early in Tennessee. Saints at 28 with Tyson Campbell, cornerback, Georgia. Peter, at the end of your, the, the paragraph about the pick and your explanation, you said, I like this semi-risky pick. What makes him semi-risky? Well, most people have him going in the 50s, like late too. But, Paul, you know what I did this year? I asked almost everybody I talked to, who's, who, who have we never heard of? Who's the, who's the, 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 you know, the lesser light? who you think people are projecting him second or third round, who you think's going in the first round. Three people told me Tyson Campbell. I matched him up with New Orleans because of team need. Uh, they have a major need at the corner position. And this just felt right to me. And I also think that he's one of these guys who I think Dennis Allen can really mold into a better, much more reliable player. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. At 29, Peter, we find a team that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tee it up this way. What is a team that won't draft a wide receiver in the first round? <laughs> Wait, uh, that's that's Green Bay for two hundred, Alex, or, or five hundred maybe. Um, <laughs> and and look, I I gave him Jamin Davis just because I watched the draft last year. This is a team with a crying need at receiver who didn't pick one, and I just look yeah. at Brian Gutekunst and I, I I don't have again. I have no inside knowledge. I've heard, but I don't know that uh, that uh, the head coach really wants a receiver early. We'll see if they give him one. But I think that uh, in, the, in terms of rising guys in the draft as we get closer uh, and consistent playmakers at linebacker, Jamin Davis is a very interesting prospect from Kentucky. At 30, Buffalo, Peter. And I'm going to attach your pick to one of the thoughts I had uh, to the Bills' tremendous success at the end of last season. Josh Allen's a very good runner. As he started to run 10 or 12 times a game, I had to stop. I, I, I don't like him running that often. So I love your right. pick, running back out of Clemson, the most productive running back in the history of the ACC, Travis Etienne. He's the kind of player who, when Seattle traded for Percy Harvin, a lot of the same traits uh, exist in Travis Etienne. <clears throat> and that is... The, as one GM said to me, he goes, this guy was made to run jet sweeps. And, mm. and so the way, what I find one of the most interesting plays in 
current, very modern football is when a guy goes into jet motion in front of the quarterback and the quarterback basically tosses him the ball like it's a hot potato, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and Paul, you know what? If, if you had that in your day at Iowa, your completion <laughs> percentage would be about 10 points better because I always look at that and like Patrick Mahomes does that sometimes two or three times in a game. And I said, that counts as a complete pass. Yeah, All he's right. doing is saying, here, take this. You know, those passes are never incomplete. Right. But yeah, I, know. I can see I can see Travis Etienne becoming that kind of impact guy. And I'll tell you, adding that that person to this offense where the receiver core right now is so good, man, mm. I, I just I think the Bills could really be scary with a guy like Etienne in the backfield. I would like to say, Peter, that that would have put my completion percentage in the 70s but it only would have put it up to the 60s. But thank you anyway. <laughs> and I, I have to say, since you noted how much you like Najee Harris caught the ball well, 85 catches, 85 for Travis Etienne the last two seasons, not in his career, the last two seasons. All right, the Ravens at 31. They have a big-time need uh, inside and outside on that offensive line. But um, I don't want to say questionable, but this pick comes with some medical concerns as well, though, and that's Landon Dickerson. He's had two ACL surgeries. He's had two major ankle injuries, but he's played five years of major college football, three at Florida State, and then he transferred to Alabama, and I'm told flat out this is the best leader in this draft. Mm. Uh, To me, it's a risk the Ravens can take, Um, and it's a risk they can take because I think they can manage a guy like this very, very well. Um, and they can get a lot out of him. But it, it, there's no question, it is risky. He's co- right now, he's coming off ACL surgery. Uh, so he's probably not going to be ready until right around August. And so, But this is a long-term pick, I think. I think the Ravens, if they were to do this, uh, you know, would likely take very good care uh, with Landon Dickerson. Like the logic there too, Peter. We saw how much they missed Marshall Young the last year. And not saying he can be that kind of player, but you can certainly understand why they think they need someone in there. Yeah. That's an upgrade. Final pick at 32, the Super Bowl champs, the Buccaneers. But Peter, Jason Light did such a good job of keeping that team together after they won the Super Bowl. I think any pick here counts as a luxury pick. And you go with the defensive tackle from Alabama, Christian Barmore. You know, the real reason is I just I literally just look for the best pl- I felt who was the best player. Uh, who I who I didn't have in the first round, that would have some role in Tampa Bay, and the reason why I like uh, Christian Barmore here, he's the best defensive tackle in the draft. Vita Vey missed 13 games last year because of injury, and and Sue might only play one more year. So there is a, a, a both a, an injury related need and a future need at defensive tackle. I just think Barmore fits this pick. That'll do it. Bottom quarter of the first round, according to Peter King, shapes up this way. Offensive line, defensive line, another running back. That's the second running back to go off the board, Travis Etienne. And it ends on the D-line for the Super Bowl champs in Tampa Bay. So, uh, Peter, what you started out and kind of set the bar low and said, I'm not sure how this is going to go. I think it was insightful, and I know it was enjoyable. So, very well done. 
Hey, I really appreciate it, Paul. And I want to thank everybody for both reading the column this week uh, and for listening to the podcast. The one, I'm going to just leave everybody with one little note. Um, I think sometimes it's a little bit of a wet blanket note. Um, and and I, I would just leave everybody with this. You know, that this is a draft that is so different from many drafts in recent years in that there's so much unknown in this draft that I want everybody to be excited about whoever they pick, whoever their team picks. Everybody have fun, have a draft party, do whatever. But just understand that this, according to Gil Brandt, it's the most unusual year he's ever seen uh, in 67 years of analyzing drafts. And I think other people would substitute another word for unusual, which is mediocre. And so understand this is a fun, fun time of the year and it's exciting. But we've just talked about so many players with question marks around them. And, And I think that could be what this draft is known for. You know, it could end up being the question mark draft. But anybody, thanks. Uh, anyway, thanks a lot for listening to the podcast this week. Hope everybody enjoys the draft. And Paul Burmeister, I really appreciate batting it back and forth with you. That was fun, Peter. Thank you. Enjoy the draft. All the best to everybody, and we'll talk next week. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.